own values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I just want to listen to the music. I'm so frustrated today. I got to be honest. I don't come to work. I come to work most days in a great mood. I'm in a good mood, but I'm so frustrated with the stories we're talking about today. Um, I apologize. Uh, it's frustrating to see some of the things happening. Uh, lofty goals. I think all of us should have dreams and lofty goals and aspirations, but this seems to be a bit insane to me. Um, of course, it's California. Uh, California Air, Air Resources Board is set to finalize an expansive plan to ban the sale of new gasoline-powered cars by 2035. The state's ban will require 100% of new cars sold in California by 2035 to be free of fossil fuel emissions, up from the current 12%. Interim targets require 35% of vehicles sold in the United States by 2026 to produce zero emissions, rising to 68% by 2030. couple of things uh, to address. Um, good luck getting gas in California. Um, for those of you that are not old enough to remember, I am. Um, we had what was called regular gasoline. Um, we had regular gasoline, and then we had unleaded gasoline that came in, and that was that was a mandate around the country. And so there was a time period, and I don't remember how long it was, 10 years, whatever it was, for the conversion from leaded to unleaded gasoline. I worked at a gas station for a while pumping gas. So that's another thing that most people don't remember. There was a time in this country when you pulled up to a gas pump and somebody else came out and pumped your gas and cleaned your windows, and it was a full-service gas station. I think they still mandate that in New Jersey, or at least they did for a long time. Um, but we switched. And then there was a cutoff where there was no more leaded gasoline. It was just all unleaded. And if you were stuck with a car that didn't have a catalytic converter, you were sunk. You had to, you know, you were just stuck. This is different because the fossil fuel industry is already being told by the administration at large, and now California, the huge state of California, that they are going to be phased out. So if you own, uh, let's say you're, you're uh, ExxonMobil or you're Shell or you're any of these major oil corporations, how long are you going to keep a gas station open in California? If they're phasing cars out, you're going you're gonna to keep a gas station in California? Do you know how expensive it is to build a gas station to maintain those gas pumps, to maintain those underground tanks with all of the environmental requirements? Good luck. Good luck finding fuel for the time you still have a gas-powered vehicle. And and who this hurts the most are the working-class families of California, and I'll explain why. Um if I needed to get an electric vehicle, if they mandated I had to get an electric vehicle, I could afford to get an electric vehicle. I don't want to. I don't want to spend that kind of money, but I could. Um, newly married couple, starting a family, uh, paying off at least part of their student loans because you don't have to pay them all off anymore. Uh, with all the bills they have, and now you're going to tell them, ah, no more, no more gas-powered vehicles. We know that uh, these EVs are going through the roof at expense. They're costing even more money, and the cost is going to continue to go up. Uh, we also know the environmental impact of mining for the materials to make the batteries. We already have environmental groups are saying it's just as bad as fossil fuels. And last but not least, the area in which I came from that I can tell you with, with complete certainty is – What's the electric grid going to do in California? 
when you have all of these electric vehicles added to the electric grid. Do you remember the rolling blackouts in California? How about when the forest fires took down power to parts of the state in the very hot times of the year in California? What happens when they don't have power at their homes and now they don't have a charging station that works because the power's off for days and days at a time? You want to talk about completely shutting down an economy. And I've said many times, I have nothing against electric vehicles. I've been in a Tesla. I think they're amazing. The uh, the pickup truck, the Ford Lightning, is an incredible vehicle. And if the world is moving in the direction of electric vehicles, and they think that those are better for the planet, but they're also more feasible for the American public, I'm all in favor of it. I love progress. I love to see change. I have no problem with change. But these kinds of lofty goals are so politically motivated and they are so practically devoid. It doesn't make any sense to anyone that even looks at it from a superficial, even a limited experience point of view. I don't know how many of you have ever lived in an apartment complex, but I have in a, a number of times. And now imagine the, you know, the power in an apartment complex, what it takes for that grid, they call it a grid in that apartment complex that powers all the apartments. They have to factor in, you know, 80% occupancy and 80% usage and all this other stuff for peak demand. And ACs are going to run 24 seven in the, in the summer months for all of the air conditioning in all of the apartments. You've got all the lighting. You've got everything else that goes with it. And now you've got to have about 50 to 60% capacity for your tenants to charge their vehicles on your property. How do you possibly do that in one apartment complex? Do you know the sheer expense to that overhaul of the grid? It's an, it's huge. It's huge. And now you're going to do that in an entire state and you're going to do it in about 10 years. That's the goal. So I just I look at this and I think, you know, the idea of going green, the idea of being better with the planet is something most people should be happy with. If you're I saw a lady yesterday and I don't I don't normally I shouldn't say I don't normally I don't normally start a confrontation in traffic. Don't normally do it. But I was at Indian School on 44th Street, and there was a lady in front of me at the light. And just before the light turned green, this lady threw a lit cigarette out of her window into the street. Do you know how insulted I was? I was like, we live in this neighborhood. What what the hell is wrong with you? And which is exactly what I said to her at the next traffic light. Um, And she didn't ignore me. She didn't care what I thought. But we all see that kind of damage, and we say, first of all, you can start a fire. Second of all, keep your litter. Throw it in the trash where it belongs. We all, I think most of us, want a clean planet. We want a better planet for our children than it is for us. But when you have unrealistic goals like this that are so politically motivated, the price – have you seen how the price of electric vehicles are skyrocketing? So in California, you can't make a living right now anyway with the high taxation and everything else that's happening in that state. You are driving businesses out and you're driving out working class families because they just can't afford to live there. And now you're telling working class families that are driving vehicles that are 10, 12, 14 years old in some cases, keeping them on the road, putting tires on them, maintaining them, but making sure that they can make a living, you're telling them in a few years, you're not going to be able to get gas because gas stations are going to dry up. But more importantly, you're going to have to buy an electric vehicle. It's it, this is something that's unrealistic and it's going to the plan is going to crash and burn. We are going to shift directly to the economy of the United States. The GDP has shrunk again. The revised numbers are showing a shrinking economy at a time, well, we know what we're doing. We're going to talk about student loan forgiveness as well. It's all coming up in just a couple of moments.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 93 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, it's official revised GDP numbers show the economy is definitely shrinking. Um, we expect leadership to react in an appropriate manner. And I don't know. There are some obviously that still agree that this president is, is reacting in an appropriate manner. But we are going in a dramatically different direction than we were a few years ago. You can blame it on COVID for as long as you want to, but you can't blame COVID for everything. Um, and, and not only that, but w- <sighs> good leaders surround themselves with advisors that see things coming. Um, a, a good head coach of a football team not only has really good coordinators on the sidelines that are calling plays on offense and defense and special teams, you also have really qualified people up in the booth, up in the box, that are watch that are watching the field and seeing tendencies of the other teams and finding ways to either uh, minimize your weaknesses or or really take advantage of the other team's weaknesses. So it is a team effort, and it, the head coach ultimately makes the decisions, and the head coach gets the uh, either the credit or gets the blame for wins and losses. And it's always the head coach that loses their job when teams don't perform. And that, that's just the way of life. And that's what you sign up for when you want to be um, the head coach. You know, my name is on this show. It's my name. But there is a team of people that work together to make this show happen. And they deserve a lot of credit when things are going bad. But I will and I should get the blame when things don't go well. That's what happens when you put your name on the sign. When I had my company, it was called Broomhead Electric. It was my last name. Everybody knew who I was, and it wasn't because of the you know the radio show. I didn't have the radio show. It's just I had been in this industry for a while. I worked with a lot of people, and uh, you know they, people don't care. They don't remember the electrician that made a mistake. They don't remember the person that broke something or forgot something. They remember you. That's what leadership is. And when the American people don't feel like leadership is listening or paying attention, we've got the argument that's going on, and it continues to happen. Karine Jean-Pierre defends the economy, says we're not in a recession. They've redefined recession. They've told you why they've redefined recession. But in the meantime, the American people continue to have poor poll numbers for the president. Now, he has rebounded in his poll numbers, and a lot of it has to do with some of the decisions he's made recently that people in his party are now coming back and complimenting him for Getting those things done. But independent voters are still running from this president, and so Republican voters are never voting for him in large numbers. And um, the issue and the frustration for people is you look at that and say, wait a minute, the economy is retreating. We know it is. There is no end in sight in what we're seeing with the cost of food and other things. And now all of a sudden we've got these shiny things rubbed in our face that have happened in the last couple of weeks, one of which now, which we're going to get into specific details about, which is student loan forgiveness. How is that a solution to the problem? It is a one time. It's a one off for people. The, the the questions being asked, which we're going to ask about, what about the people that are doing it right? What about the people that have done it right? What do you say to those people? And the answer is it is it is a completely the silence is deafening because it is myopic in what it's being done. So here it's official. The GDP numbers have shrank 0.6% in the second quarter, signaling U.S. remains in technical recession. That's a headline. It says technical recession. Not in a recession. Technically. Technically, we're in a recession. That's like being technically pregnant. Um, You either are or you aren't. Um, 
Consumer demand has been a key driver in inflation in the U.S. But here's an interesting story from the New York Times. The dollar store reports higher sales as shoppers seek bargains. You look at the quality of life, and this is what it boils down to for a lot of people is quality of life. Um, when you are making more money, when you get a raise or a bonus, and this happened in the previous administration where companies were giving out bonuses and raises to people, uh, they were told by the opposition – you know that re- that 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 bonus you got five hundred bucks a thousand bucks. Do you know how much money your boss is saving with these tax cuts? That bonus is nothing. You're getting bought off for pennies. You know you here you think you got something, but people's lives were improving. They had more money in their pocket. They had more discretionary income, and we saw the results of that. People spent money in that regard. That's how they spent money. Now people are saying I'm making more money than I was making before, but I'm also paying more for. Things that I ever have before, and you have people that are are shopping down, that they are shifting. So you are you are, you you were if you were going to AJ's now you're going to Safeway or Bashes and or Fries, and if you shopped at Fries now you're going to Food City. Um, you know, you're going to Costco more. You're getting more things, wh- whether it's in bulk or paying lower prices. Uh, you see people going to the dollar store for more items. This is what happens when an economy goes south and people can't make ends meet. So you couple the information about uh, the jobs report and that, that we've seen that it's better. Things are good still, but they are seeing a slowing. The businesses reported this week. Businesses are looking at slashing jobs coming up soon if that happens because one of the highest, uh, one of the biggest things in job searches have been part-time jobs, have been second jobs for people to keep their, their families afloat. If those jobs dry up, what's going to happen to those families? People have jacked their credit cards up on necessities, not on th- you know, not taking risk because they're so well off in society that they can now go finance a car or a vacation or something else. People are hurting, and if there isn't going to be a recognition, it doesn't matter what political party you're from. If there's not a recognition, what will happen is Republicans are never going to vote for Biden. Independents will slide toward a Republican candidate. Depending on who that candidate is, they could kind of ruin their chances, but they will slide away from this president. Democrats are largely going to stay and vote for this president. But what you will also see is there will be some people in the Democratic Party, because it happens in the Republican Party, too, with a candidate that's unpopular. They'll abstain. They'll leave that blank. They won't vote for that candidate. And I'm anxious to see how this all plays out. Coming up in a moment, we go specifically to student loan forgiveness. You'll hear more from the White House and more from experts of what they're saying this is going to do and what it isn't going to do. Next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, it's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast. Never miss a minute of it. Easy to download. Listen at your convenience. And this week, the podcast is brought to you by King LASIK and K2 Vision RLE, the best vision for the valley. Schedule your virtual consult at kingk2vision.com. Student loan forgiveness. Let's talk about student loan forgiveness and what it means. Um... 
Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre putting a spin on this from the White House perspective, saying what great things this is going to be for for middle class families. And and, uh, you know, I guess there's a level of this that there are people that are working paycheck to paycheck. You know, in our family, my brother is a cop. Cops don't make a lot of money, especially in in southwest Florida. But he loves his job and he's very good in his community. He's a captain. He's on the command staff now. So he makes better money than when he started out as a deputy. His wife is still a deputy. It's a two household income. She has to work part time to supplement the income to keep a roof over the family's head. And my brother graduated from honors, and part of his was scholarship. He was on a football and a baseball scholarship at the early part of his college career. He gave up those two things, knowing he was never going to play professionally, focused on his studies, came back to Florida Gulf Coast University in southwest Florida, and graduated with honors, raised his family, and paid off his student loans. What do you say to those families? I mean, all of these things are fair criticisms. My biggest fear is this. That people that think like I do, uh, politically speaking, that think like I do, small government, less intrusion, low taxes, that the the um, temptation is that we begin to say, well, what about us? And now I've used it sarcastically. I've talked about it sarcastically, but I'll give you an example on the other side of that. Um, what I did to grow my business was I did everything wrong. <laughs> I did everything wrong. I took a mortgage out, a $50,000 third mortgage on my house uh, in order to expand my business. And I did it at the worst possible time, right before the real estate market crashed, right before the work was going away. So I made a lot of mistakes, and I made a lot of mistakes at the wrong time. But the point of this conversation is the people that did it the other way, the people that went go through the small business administration, the people that put together a business model and put together a business plan. They lay it all out and they apply for a loan and they explain how they're going to spend the money and how they're going to pay the money back, what growth they anticipate and how they're going to get there. And they do everything they're supposed to do and they submit that application. And they're granted a small business loan. And then they are able to start their business out. And they have to pay that off over time. And it's not an easy nut to crack. And it, you've got to pay that bill back. And there's interest that is a, that is accruing. And all of that's true, just like it is with student loans. Are you going to – now, the, the temptation is going to be for small business owners that have taken small business loans is to go back and say, well, what about us? If you're going to forgive student loan debt because having an educated workforce is critical to the national security and fiscal and financial security of America, what are you going to do for us? And then is the government going to put together a program and say if you are a a small business that has less than 10 employees and you borrowed this money, you're going to get – what road are we going down? One of the the things in life that's exciting – uh, is risk and reward. Uh, let's be honest. It's risk and reward. Um, you and your friends play golf and you enjoy playing golf. What makes it more fun when you gamble on the golf course? I'm not talking about big money, but you gamble on the golf course, right? You, you, there's a little risk and reward here. You take a chance to win a hole or win a match, and th- th- that risk reward is exciting in life. Well, it's the same thing in business. It's a lot more severe when you're talking about your family's income. But the fact of the matter is there is a risk with everything you do, and there is a reward when you do it right. But there is a punishment to be paid, or there is a penalty, I should say. It's not a punishment, but a penalty when you do it wrong. So you're saying to families that did it the right way, 
That, and it's not easy for anybody, but families that did it the right way, where they, they, they buckled down, they didn't buy new cars, they didn't live outside of their means, and they paid their student loans. What do you say to those families? And I mean that sincerely. How do you look? It, it feels to me the same conversation I have about the border with people that have come here illegally and people that have done it the right way. How do you look someone that's done it the right way in the eye and say, I know you did it the right way. I know you waited a long amount of time to come here. I know you went through the visa process. I know you got your green card. I know you spent the money, took the time and got the education to swear in as an American citizen. But these these people are already here. They're going to get what you have. How do you do that in good conscience? How do we look at American families where it's parents that may have the means but have made the sacrifice to pay for their children's college so that their kids don't have to? Well, again, they can't be ignored. And that's what this government is doing right now. They're ignoring those families that have the means to pay for it. They're saying they don't count, even though they pay the lion's shelf, the lion's share of education. Or taxes. They pay the lion's share of taxes. Don't go to school if you can't afford it. Go to a different school. Go in the military and get the GI Bill. How can I don't care what the debt is for. How do you lay your debt at someone else's feet in good conscience? How do you do it? I can't. I couldn't. I was in debt up to my ears, and I wasn't making a lot of money. As a matter of fact, I was shifting careers into the radio business. And anybody out there that's ever been in radio understands when you first start out, you ain't making a lot of money. And there was a lot of embarrassing months where I had to walk in with a really small check to creditors and say, here, this is all I have, but there will be more next month. And it took me years to pay back the debt that I owed, but I paid it back. I could have gone the route of bankruptcy and probably gotten away with it, but I didn't want to. I wanted to pay my creditors back. And I don't understand how we lay this debt. And the idea that your education benefits me is a farce. My education benefits me. My education benefits me. As a matter of fact, we invest so much money in education to get you through the 12th grade so you're prepared for your next step. There are scholarship programs. There are grant programs. There are all of these other things that are available to people out there. But because it's education and that is such a precious thing, somehow we can do whatever we want. And under the guise of saying we have educated kids, this is this is a slap in the face to anybody who ever made their own way. Now, there are people that disagree. I'm sure there are people out there that are working class people or paid their student loans and don't have a problem with this. But I can tell you there are a lot of Americans that are very upset at this happening, that feel as if they are being personally robbed. I don't have student loan debt. It's the one kind of debt I've never had is student loan debt. Never had student loan debt. I have it now. And to all of those people that have debt forgiveness here and you're clamoring for more, welcome to the real world because when you get out into the working world and you start paying more and more in taxes, you're going to figure out that that free education you got is going to cost you for the rest of your life while you pay for somebody else's education. That's what's going to happen. In a moment, a couple of new updates about what's happening with the former president of the United States. Uh, Some of it good. Mm, some of it not so good. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Strong 
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Um, everybody is still focused, I think, to some degree on um, what's going to happen with former President Trump. Is he guilty of having documents he wasn't supposed to? But something interesting has happened, and there's a little bit of both in all, in these. Department of Justice on Wednesday released an unredacted version of a memo prepared uh, for former Attorney General William Barr. The memo was released uh, following a suit um, of people in a Freedom of Information Act re- request. The now fully unredacted Redacted memo details the Justice Department that cautioned against any prosecution of Trump stemming from a special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into any coordination between his campaign and Russia and that the country sought to interfere with the U.S. election. In this memo... Uh, largely crafts an argument to decline prosecution for an attorney general who is at that point was fiercely loyal to Trump. It hangs out much of its analysis on a line in the Mueller report indicating there was not sufficient evidence to charge anyone from the Trump campaign or any president himself with conspiring alongside members of the Russian government to interfere in the election. Um, Given that conclusion, the evidence does not establish a crime or criminal conspiracy. And it goes on to say that we couldn't find that the president did anything criminal. And I'm going to say criminal instead of anything wrong because people still believe he is wrong for whatever they think it is. Um, And then we move on to what's happening now. Email shows early tension between Trump and National Archives. Less than four months before this, Donald J. Trump left office. The general counsel of the National Archives reached out to three lawyers who had worked with Mr. Trump to convey a firm message. The archives have determined that more than two dozen boxes of Mr. Trump's presidential records were missing, and it was needed the lawyers to immediate needed the lawyers immediate assistance to retrieve them, according to an email obtained by the New York Times. So um, there's two things at work here. From two separate issues. And one of them explains where I think this is going, and the other one explains why I've been so indecisive in criticism on either side. Um, there was absolutely, without a doubt, a political witch hunt going on, going after the former president when he was in office. They, uh, when, and to be fair, I was very critical of Arizona's audit and how they did. Not because they did one, but the way they did it. Just like looking into former President Trump, well, while he was president, um, the looking into of the audit, the audit that happened here in Arizona was overtly biased and one-sided from the day they started. The cyber ninjas were ill-equipped to do this, and they were already convinced that the election was stolen. They turned it into a sideshow. That's what that audit was. Now, I am – if you listen to this show, I drive people crazy with my my republicanism, that I am so republican. I stood up to my party and took a lot of a lot of hits because I believe right is right and wrong is wrong. I, for four years, complained about the biased, nonsense, wasteful investigation into the Trump administration that yielded absolutely nothing. There were no criminal charges because they found nothing. For four years, in two separate committees, the Mueller report. And then the Mueller testimony Then I couldn't in good conscience when they did the same thing in the audit, whether the election was stolen or not in the minds of people, that investigation was one sided, sloppy and slanted, period. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. So um, I wasn't going to jump to any conclusions, and I'm still not jumping to any conclusions about documents that the former president has or had. 
because I don't believe it's not a biased jump to conclusions because I think that part of this is politically motivated. That doesn't mean they're wrong, and that's what I'm waiting to see. What's in those boxes? I also have another question that I haven't really heard anybody ask, and if they have, I haven't seen it answered, and I would love the answer. Um, What kind of information does a former president usually take with him? What did Obama take? Was there were there documents that were considered to be sensitive? But and why would he take them? I'm not saying he did anything wrong. I'm saying for the sake of reference, what did Bill Clinton take? What did George W. Bush take? What has Barack Obama taken? It is an indicator of you know presidents. If you said you know what presidents usually have boxes of stuff that they take with them, but it doesn't rise to this level. Or most presidents don't take much, or they don't take anything. And I don't know the answer to that question. I have no idea what the answer to that question is. And I think. It would give us some insight if we did know. What does what does Obama have pertaining to Afghanistan or the pullout of Iraq? You know what what kind of documents? What does George W. Bush have? You know that in reference to the wars, nine uh, eleven. You know, is there anything that they take with them that's part of what the president takes when they leave? And I don't know the answer until I get answers. I'm not forming a conclusion, but I will tell you that if you see that the lawyers are saying we agree, you should have these documents back. Doesn't look good for the president, former president. So it remains to be seen what happens going down the road. Um, What we're going to do just after 11 o'clock, we're going to talk about the border. The governor says that the gaps are closed. We're going to talk, of course, about loan forgiveness, and we'll do Did You Hear This? So it's going to be a great final hour of the show. It's coming up here in a few minutes. Stick around.